the FT. This was the week of marathon diplomatic talks and two big deals, one in Greece, the other in Iran. On this edition of Best of the Financial Times podcast, we'll be hearing whether these agreements are worth celebrating. We will also have details of the escape of drug baron El Chapo Guzman from a top security Mexican prison and ask what it means for the country's ambitious president, Enrique Peña Nieto. I'm Henry Mance and we start with Greece. Pretty much everyone agreed that its latest deal with European lenders amounted to a capitulation and a humiliation. Greece will have to do all the austerity it had previously refused, privatise up to 50 billion euros of assets and it still has no firm promises on debt relief. But FT columnist Gideon Ratman had a different view. The real losers, he argued, were the Germans, who'll be stumping up a large part of the latest bailout worth around 85 billion euros and who still have no real hope of getting their money back. This is absolutely contrary to what the taxpayers of the Eurozone were told when they signed up, or in some cases of Germany, they'd never got to vote on it, but when they were joined with the Euro, they were told, don't worry, there is a no bailout clause. You will never have to pay for the profligacy of another country. That can't happen. Well, it's happened repeatedly. It's happened three times with Greece. It's happened with Ireland. It's happened with Spain. It's happened with Portugal. And there is actually no guarantee for all the attempts to write into these things that the Greeks will repay. I don't think anybody really believes they ever will. Plus, I don't think one can really believe that they're going to carry out these reforms, because as you point out, Mr. Tsipras has pointed out that he doesn't agree with any of the stuff he's just signed up to. So I think it's a terrible deal for the Eurozone lenders. Hold on, said another FT columnist, Wolfgang Munchau. There is at least one German who is happy with a new deal, and that's the Chancellor, Angela Merkel. When you're talking about winners and losers of these deals, you know, this is economics, this isn't a football game. You, know, you could have a situation where you know both of the parties are winners. This is, a, you know, a positive sum game. It could equally be, and I think that's the situation where we're in, where both sides are losers. It's not really in the German interest. When I say it's in the interest of Germany, it's the way Merkel defines the German interest as something that secures her political life. I mean, as long as she doesn't have to realize those losses that have arisen in her landings to Greece, no one will question her policies. The minute Greece starts to default, it will be her cost. Is this in the German interest? No, it is not in the German interest. It's not in the German interest to run a counter-account surplus of 8% when you're running towards 10%. This is going to go bust. Germany will ultimately be the victim of this. By that time, Merkel will no longer be Chancellor. Either way, the big questions about the euro haven't disappeared. Many economists believe that there is no way European countries can share the same currency and interest rate policy unless they also pool their tax and spending systems to help smooth out economic imbalances. That's what Germany did with East Germany, would it do it again? Here's Gideon Rackman. I think the Germans would assent to a political union if they could essentially go in and say, OK, this is how it's going to be and these are the laws and we're going to run it. But if they did that, they'd be accused of being colonialists or indeed Nazis, as is already happening. So it's a total lose-lose situation for them. They're not going to be able to enforce the rules that are very important to them. And therefore, it's really not in their interest to agree to the fiscal union. So is the euro going to survive? Well, I mean, I've sort of been all over the place on this. Initially, I thought the euro was a disaster. And of course, you should break it up. Then the more I thought about the practical consequences and the dangers of breaking it up, I began to sort of recoil from that prospect because it's highly complicated. It could cause depressions, financial collapses, that kind of thing, which obviously one wants to avoid. And to quote yet another FT economist, my colleague Martin Wolf, he said the only idea worse than creating the euro is to break it up. However, I've now come back to the idea of breakup for the reasons Wolfgang and I have been discussing, that 
I think in the end it's not sustainable. And so there's no point in attempting to prop up this collapsing house. It will collapse eventually. So I think we've got to try to get to a situation where we can think about doing this rationally and in a way that is managed, that isn't through some sort of cataclysmic crisis overnight in a European Union summit in which we suddenly wake up and see a country's fallen out of the Eurozone. That really would be a horrible mess. The Iranian negotiations were no easier, but a deal agreed at the weekend will freeze the country's nuclear programme, allow inspectors to monitor progress and lift international economic sanctions. The FT's editor Lionel Barber wondered if there was a risk of a repeat of what happened in North Korea, where the regime signed up to a deal but kept on enriching uranium covertly. Probably not, said our foreign editor Rula Kalaf. I think North Korea and Iran are not comparable. They're not comparable regimes. They're not comparable countries. Iran's supreme leader agreed to this because he is under immense domestic pressure. Iran is a much more open country. You can never say that, you know, we're dealing with the Islamic regime, and therefore you can never say that there's no risk. But I think that there is probably enough safeguards here and enough access that the inspectors will be able to tell if Iran uh, is not complying with this agreement. There is another risk, however, and that's that other countries in the Middle East start trying to build nuclear weapons. Yes, said Rula Khalaf, particularly Iran's big rival, Saudi Arabia. I think the main problem in the region today is the standoff between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And I think unless that is addressed, the Middle East will continue to burn. And I think that the US now needs to have a strategy, a new policy for the region that takes this into account as the major problem and tries to help the two countries address it. But as one person joked, Maybe we should just be thankful that sleep-deprived diplomats weren't so tired that they agreed a bailout for Iran and a nuclear deal for Greece. Now Mexico, where not even a top security prison, can apparently prevent the world's 14th richest man, drug baron Joaquin Guzman, from escaping. He left the prison via a two-kilometre-long tunnel, while guards thought he was taking a shower. The escape's hugely embarrassing for Mexico's authorities, and it's also hugely frustrating for US authorities who wanted to extradite Guzman. Here's Jude Weber, our correspondent in Mexico, explaining why Guzman was never extradited. Mexico has had what some analysts are calling a kind of a, a security nationalism approach, which is he must first of all serve out his sentence or do his time in Mexico, and that will take 300 to 400 years, is what the former Attorney General said. And only then can he be extradited to America. Well, now what analysts are saying is that the President is paying the price for this kind of nationalistic approach, that had they extradited him to the U.S., it would have been a problem out of his hand and he wouldn't have been able to escape from a U.S. prison. Mexico's President, the glossy Enrique Peña Nieto, was on a state visit to Paris when the news broke. He responded in perhaps the only way he could. He talked about the jailbreak, but he didn't use Joaquin Goldsman's name. He referred to him as this delinquent. He said that it is an affront to Mexican society. He said that he's extremely disturbed by it, and it's uh, it's very regrettable. He has said that he's ordered full investigation. The interior minister is overseeing this. He's dispatched the attorney general to look into whether there was any help from any public official. He's obviously concerned, and he's obviously embarrassed, but he's got no answers yet. President Peña Nieto has actually already achieved quite a lot. For example, opening up Mexico's declining oil industry to foreign investment. But, said Jude Weber, the jailbreak will put the focus back on whether the government can fight corruption in the face of hugely wealthy drug cartels. He needs to put the rule of law at the top of his priorities. And this only underscores that need that, you know, whilst this kind of spectacular jailbreak can happen, 
The other reforms that he's carrying out, the structural reforms, above all perhaps the energy reform, which will bring investment flowing into Mexico, it just underscores the fact that you can't really expect the structural reforms to be fully effective if the rule of law in Mexico doesn't work. So I think it's obviously a wake-up call for him. I mean, a very big one. Finally, companies in the UK will soon have to disclose the pay gap between male and female employees. But while women often don't earn as much as their male colleagues, many do earn more than their husbands. FT reporter Naomi Robnick has been digging into the trend. According to Ipsos, 44% of the country's wealthiest families, that's Britain's wealthiest families, have a female higher earner. Yet the wealth management industry, um, one of my interviewees said, is entirely set up for men in what he said was a ridiculous way. He said if you look at the marketing on television, it's men looking at their trading screens. If you look at the marketing that goes on with clients, it's golf days. It's not trips to the spa or something. Maybe the race is a bit more um, a bit more gender neutral. Um, female breadwinners I interviewed reported their wealth managers directing all post and all queries to their husbands. It's, it's something that a male-dominated industry has, has really not realised. That's it for this week. We'll be back next Friday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you might also like to try our Alpha Chat podcast presented by me, Cardiff Garcia, where each week FT writers, bloggers, and their invited guests will have a wonky, funny, and occasionally even irreverent chat about topics related to the financial markets and economics. Check it out at ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.